Luke 22, verse 14, and we'll read to verse 23. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you now asking for your help. Lord, we need to get a sense, to feel the reality of the word of Christ here, the the truth of the words that he is saying to us. And Lord, we, we need our hearts to be inclined toward your word. So often they are inclined away away from what you say, away from the truth that you have revealed here. So, Father, help us. May your spirit work in our hearts so that your word would be written on our hearts, so we would know it, know the truth of it, and that our lives would be shaped and molded by it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In these verses... This morning, and uh, for the majority of chapter 22 of Luke's gospel, we are given a very special privilege. Uh, Through these words, our ears can hear and our eyes can see just what concerned the Lord Jesus on the night before his death. Jesus knew what was coming. We are assured of that in this passage. He mentions it here in this passage. And, and knowing that this would be his final night, his final moments with his disciples, with his closest friends, his final meal here before the crucifixion, we are given the privilege of being like a fly on the wall in the upper room, seeing and hearing what concerned the Lord Jesus, the most in these dramatic moments. What we find is that the Lord was mainly thinking of his disciples, of his followers, as well as all of those who would come to follow him, to believe in him, because of their witness, because of their testimony, because of of their words. For it says in John 17, 
for all those who will believe in me through their, that is the apostles, word. Which, of course, would have included each of us this morning. Each of us who have come to know and love the Lord Jesus because of our hearing about him through the writings and the witness of his apostles, through, through this book. So let us turn our attention once again to our Lord, knowing that he is about to lay down his life for our salvation from hell and for our entrance into eternal life and glory. A main theme that we see from uh, these uh, verses this morning is that the Lord provided the church with a visible and tangible way to remind us of his sacrificial death which ensures our place with him in the kingdom. If you have uh, your handouts in the bulletins with uh, uh, the points of the sermon on them, um, you'll see that that's uh, the main theme there listed at the top. might be helpful for you as you follow along this morning in the message. So uh, the Passover is still a major theme uh, in this section as it was in the first 13 verses that we looked at last week. Uh, We saw then how the Passover throughout the history of Israel had been pointing to Jesus. Jesus was the Passover lamb who had to be killed so that God's people would live. Now the hour has come, it says in verse 14. It is the hour for the Lord to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And it is the time, the hour, that his mission, his main purpose for coming was about to be fulfilled. We are being told here that uh, the whole of Luke's gospel has been leading us towards this point to these events that were about to take place. But the events of the crucifixion would, would not be the end of the story. All of the events of Jesus' life and ministry, including his death and resurrection, are leading us toward the culmination of God's story of redemption leading us towards the the consummation of all of God's plans and promises for his people, which will come when the Lord returns to establish his kingdom on the renewed earth. Now, we don't think much about the kingdom. You and I, we don't think much about the kingdom. Now, we, we, we look forward to things for most of the year here in Nebraska, So many have been looking forward to football season once again. And now it is here. Now it is here. So we've been looking forward to it, and it has come. We've also looked forward to harvest, and that has uh, begun now for some here in our area. We look forward to vacations. We look forward to weddings. We look forward to big family events. Maybe some of you are looking forward to retirement, but not many of us, we can, we could say, are looking forward to the kingdom. We, we just don't, don't think that much about it. Uh, but we see, we see here that, that Jesus did. Jesus thought about it. Jesus looked forward to the kingdom. In fact, his focus on the kingdom to come in this passage sets up the structure uh, that we see uh, the fulfillment of the kingdom promises in verses 14 through uh, 18. And then the sacrifice of Christ, which will ensure our place in the kingdom there in verses 19 and 20, uh, 
And finally, in verses 21 and 23, we'll see what the church will be like until the kingdom comes. So first, um, God's promises for his people will be fulfilled through Christ, verses 14 through 18. Uh, I, I know that this has been something that I have pointed out in passages before in the Gospel of Luke as we've made our way through uh, this book, and, and it's simply because it's one of the recurring themes of Luke's Gospel. He likes to show um, us how there is continuity between what we find in the Old Testament scriptures and what we see in Jesus and his ministry. Jesus is the fulfillment. He, Christ is what the scriptures have been pointing toward uh, throughout Israel's history. Uh, Luke believed it was important for his readers to see that so they wouldn't look for someone else. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. There is no other who will be coming to save us, so that's why Luke continuously points us to Jesus being that fulfillment of these promises from the Old Testament. Verse 14 says, When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. So the food has all been prepared. The table has, has been set. And now all the disciples are with Jesus at the table. Their table would have been just slightly raised from the floor, maybe six uh, to ten inches. And, and they would have been lying on, on the floor next to this table, leaning on, on one elbow with uh, one arm free to use to, to, to grab the food and the cup. And then Jesus uh, would have said, presumably towards the beginning of the meal, here verses 15 and 16, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus knows what lies ahead for him and for the disciples. This is his last meal, his last supper with his disciples before he will endure the suffering of the crucifixion, and he earnestly desired to be with his disciples, to be with them celebrating the Passover one last time together. In these verses, it has the feel like something significant is coming to an end. After Jesus suffers, the Passover celebration will, will never be the same. The Passover celebration was a special meal where Jews remembered God's salvation in the past. They remembered and celebrated God's grace and faithfulness in delivering them out of slavery from Egypt. And this came about because in the final plague upon Egypt, the Lord sent the angel of death into the land to put the firstborn son of every household to death. But he, he, he mercifully instructed the households of Israel to provide a lamb without blemish as a sacrifice and to put the blood, um, put, put the lamb to death and then, then to take the, the blood of the lamb and spread it over the doorposts of, of, of their dwellings. Uh, then when the angel of death came on that night, he would pass over the households which were covered by the blood of the lamb. The Passover lambs would then die as a sacrifice in the place of the sons of Israel. The Lord then commanded the people that he redeemed out of Egypt to, to reenact this Passover meal each year, to, to look back and remember how they were saved by God's grace 
through the shedding of the blood of the Lamb and not the shedding of their own blood. But the Passover celebration did not just look back, it also pointed forward. As Jesus reveals here in these verses, it, it pointed forward to the kingdom that will be established by Messiah, by, by the Christ. Uh, the, the Jews in Egypt were to eat the unleavened bread because they were supposed to be ready to pack up and to leave at any moment to not only escape Egypt, the land of their oppression, but to begin the journey toward Canaan, toward the promised land. As they continued to celebrate the Passover, they continued to use the unleavened bread uh, in order to, in order to uh, commemorate this, but to also look forward to when the Lord would come to lead them out of this world, the world of their oppression, and into the promised land, the land of the kingdom to come. Verses 17 and 18, uh, the Lord continues uh, to, point to, to point towards this. Verse 17 says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In, in, in the Passover celebration, there were four cups of wine that were part of it. And, and after uh, the host of the meal introduced the third cup, uh, the practice was for the host, who was usually uh, the head of the household, the, the father, um, to tell the children to, to, to go to the door of the house and look outside to see if Elijah was there to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. It has also been, been common in, in many uh, Jewish homes to, to leave a spare seat at the table open just in case Messiah would arrive while they celebrated the Passover. The celebration had, had strong overtones of anticipation for the coming of the Messiah and looked forward not only to his coming, but to the coming of the kingdom that he would bring with. And here in uh, Luke's, Luke's account, Jesus emphasizes this looking forward to the coming of the kingdom while pronouncing that he is the one who will fulfill the Passover. Again, verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it, uh, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In the first Passover, the promise of the Passover would, would not have been fulfilled unless the lambs were killed and, and their blood spread over the doorposts of the homes of the people. And here in this setting, the promise of the kingdom of God uh, for, for, for God's people would only be fulfilled when the ultimate Passover lamb would be killed and his blood shed for the sins of the people in order for all of God's people to then gain entrance into the kingdom of God. His blood needed to be the covering, washing away their sins, forgiving them for their sins, so that they could then bear the righteousness of Christ and enter the kingdom of God. Now just think, just think what it would have been like to have Peter, uh, to, to, or to have been Peter, to have been the disciples, to have been James, to have been John, and every year since they were little children, they had celebrated the Passover with their families, possibly there in Jerusalem. And they had, to, they had to be thinking and remembering their fathers, telling them when they were children to, to go to the door after the third cup of the meal was offered to, to, to look for Elijah, 
who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Maybe their families had also always left a spot open at their tables for Messiah to join them for their meal. And now, now here they were in Jerusalem once again, celebrating the Passover, and Messiah was, was at their table with them. He was really there. He wasn't just a guest, but he was the host of the meal. And he was about to fulfill the Passover for them and for all of God's people. He would make the way for God's sinful people to enter into the kingdom by laying down his life for them on the cross. They may not have known the significance of all that was about to take place here, but they looked back on this time and this meal with Jesus afterward, and they made sure to include it in their Gospels so that we would all know. We would all know Messiah had come. The Savior had come. It is Jesus, and there is no need for us to look for another. And so be confident. Be confident, for the kingdom of God is also sure to come. Secondly, uh, the bread and the cup remind us that Christ gave himself for our place in the kingdom. The bread and the cup remind us that Christ gave himself for us and for our place in the kingdom. Um, well, it seemed to be, uh, in, in, in one sense, in this meal that uh, something was coming to an end. Now, in these two verses, verses 19 and 20, we also get the sense that there is a, a new beginning in this meal. Let's read those verses. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus told his disciples in giving them the bread and the cup which would have been the fourth and the last cup of the Passover meal. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He had just told them about how he would not eat of this meal again until the kingdom of God comes, but now he's telling them to, to do this, that is to, to continue to do this with the bread and the cup in remembrance of him. It's like a, a new beginning here. This is, this, is, this is something new that the Lord is introducing. It seems like the, the Lord was, was leading his disciples to expect an extended period of time in which Christ's followers would, would serve this meal of the bread and the cup, not to remember the Passover, but to remember him. Jesus was doing something new here instituting a new meal for his people to observe in order to remember and celebrate their salvation. Like, like the Jews had remembered and celebrated their deliverance from Egypt through the Passover meal. The exodus from Egypt was the defining act of salvation for God's people under the Old Covenant, and the Passover was the way God had commanded his people to remember it. But now God's people remember the greater sacrifice of the Passover lamb and the arrival of the new covenant by celebrating the Lord's Supper together in churches um, here uh, where the Lord commanded us here to do. 
So Jesus said that there are two elements to, uh, to this meal, uh, two elements to uh, uh, use to remember his sacrifice, that is the bread and the cup. And in the Passover meal, there, there were a variety of different elements. Uh, there were bitter roots in that meal. There was a roasted egg. There was different greens. There was a mixture of fruit and cinnamon and nuts. There were, again, four different cups. And, of course, there was the, 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 the matzo, or the, the unleavened bread, that they also used in that meal. And, and each of the different elements in the Passover meal had special significance. They each represented something for the people to remember, or they pointed forward to something they were hoping for. So it's not a surprise, then, that in this new meal... The two elements of the meal, the bread and the cup, also represent something else that God's people are to remember and look forward to. Jesus said the bread represented his body and the cup signified his blood, which was poured out. For you, he says, or for his people. The disciples would have clearly understood that the bread was not actually the body of Jesus. They would would have never suspected that that is what Jesus meant when he said, this is my body. In the Passover, the host would have been explaining what each of the foods and and cups represented. And so now Jesus was just saying, from now on, in, in, in this meal, the bread represents my body given for you, and the cup represents my blood poured out for you. What they would have understood right then and there was how this this self-giving of his body and blood was going to all play out. What Jesus was telling them was that he would give himself in their place. He would lay down his life for theirs. He would be taking their place in which his body would be given over, his blood would be shed for them, and for their salvation. We talk about the blood of Christ a lot within the church. We, we even sing about the blood of Christ. We sing about Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, or we sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing that there is power in the blood, and my favorite uh, from William Cooper, we sing there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. It's a lot of blood, a lot of talk about blood. Well, whenever you hear Christians sing about blood or refer to the blood of Jesus, what they are talking about, what they mean is the sacrificial death of Jesus, the Son of God. Their salvation is what they're talking about. In his death, he gave himself and died as a substitute for sinners. When Jesus says here in verse 19, this is my body, which is given for you. And in verse 20, when he says, this cup that is poured out for you, that for you there means in the place of you. And for your benefit, He was saying that he was going to die for them in their place, for their benefit. He's going to die for them, for his followers who believed in him. Jesus was saying he is both our representative and our substitute. 
in his death. The Apostle Paul in Galatians put it this way, the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Then he later says in chapter 2, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself, all of himself. So you and I, could be forgiven of our sins and that we could be welcomed into relationship with God through the new covenant. When Jesus mentions the new covenant here, it was a reference back to the prophet Jeremiah. So prophet Jeremiah chapter 31, we're going to take a look at that passage. Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 through verse 34. This is what Jesus is referring to when he talks about the new covenant. We read there, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. It's easy to, easy to remember if you ever want to look up what the Old Testament says about the new covenant. Just remember Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Notice now that that this covenant was made with a community of people. It was made with the house of Israel a people, a nation, a community. And this promise of the new covenant would also be with a a people. The Lord says, I will put my law within them, plural, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The Passover meal was celebrated by the covenant community of Israel. It was the covenant meal of this covenant community reminding them of how the Lord delivered them from Egypt. Now, in our passage in Luke, the Lord Jesus, first here with his disciples, was forming a new community, a new covenant community through his sacrificial death. And this meal of the bread and the cup would be the new covenant community meal, reminding them of their salvation through the Son of God, giving himself for them. This new covenant community would be identified not by their bloodline, but by what was written on their hearts and what their relationship was like with the Lord. For what sets apart the community members of the new covenant is that they have the word of God written on their hearts. 
They have his law and his promises, and it is said they all know the Lord, from the least of them to the greatest. That is who Jesus is with in this, in this passage. That is who Jesus is dying for with his suffering and death, this new covenant community. And so the question comes for us, are you a part of this community? Are you one who is a part of this new covenant community? Do you have the word of the Lord written on your heart? Is it ingrained in you that you belong to him? Do you, do you know the Lord as your savior? Is he your master? Do you desire to serve him? Do you follow him along with the other members of the new covenant community? If so, then don't separate yourself from the community, thinking you can just do this alone, thinking you just can follow Jesus by yourself, thinking you don't need the other members of this community. Oh, no. This is a community we are never to neglect, but to join with this community and to take part in this meal, this new covenant community meal that Jesus is introducing, where he shows the bread and the cup point to how he gave himself for us and for our salvation. And lastly, until the kingdom comes, the church will include both the faithful and those who ultimately reject Jesus. This is verses 21 through 23. Jesus then, he kind of shocks the disciples with what he says next. Uh, if he didn't have their full attention before, he certainly had their attention when he says this in verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who is going to do this. Last week we talked about uh, verses 3 through 6 where uh, Luke reported to us that Judas, one of the disciples, had gone to the very people who were plotting to kill Jesus and he willingly consented to hand Jesus over to them at a time and a place where they wouldn't have to deal with opposition, or at least very much opposition. And these men were very happy to accept his offer and agree to pay him in order to betray his master and friend, to betray the Lord. Again, they didn't come to him. They didn't threaten him to do this. They didn't put any pressure on him. Judas came to them. He went to them. He willingly made the deal to give Jesus up. And here we find out Jesus knew all about it. Jesus, Jesus knows about it. Though the disciples didn't suspect a thing. They didn't suspect Judas. They didn't suspect any of them. The disciples questioned one another as to which one of them would do such a wicked, 
dreadful thing. They didn't suspect it was Judas. Mark tells us in his gospel that each of the, the, the disciples questioned Jesus, asking Jesus, could it be me? Is, is it I, Lord? Could it be me? Would I do such a thing? Each wondered if he might be the one Jesus was referring to. But one of them, of course, wasn't surprised at Jesus' statement. He may have been a little surprised that, that, that Jesus knows, but, but he wasn't surprised. He, he knew who it was. He knew who Jesus was talking about. That, of course, would have been the disciple whom Jesus pronounced this woe over in verse 22. Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So Judas was an apostle. Judas had followed Jesus. Judas was with Jesus there celebrating the Passover. He was at that table hearing Jesus make his announcement about the kingdom, watching Jesus take the bread and the cup, receiving the bread and the cup from the hand of Jesus and participating in the first communion service along with the other disciples. He was in their number. He was with them. And he was a traitor. He was a hypocrite. He was not a believer, and he would ultimately reject Jesus. And it is always shocking when this happens within the church body today, within this new covenant community. Those who have confessed to being believers, those who have been a faithful part of a church family, who have even served in various ways in the church, all of a sudden end up leaving not just the church, but the faith. We've seen it in our country the past few years in uh, a bigger way because of uh, social media and the internet and people just posting on there, proclaiming um, that they uh, were deconstructing their faith, um, giving reasons for why they could no longer believe in Jesus and follow uh, the ways of Christ. They, they were questioning whether they had, uh, whether what, what they had thought uh, to believe uh, before about the Bible. They were questioning what they had heard about who Jesus really is. They were saying maybe it's not true. And, and so in many of, of those cases, they began to be very uncomfortable with what the Bible actually teaches, uh, particularly about the current hot-button cultural and social issues regarding sexual morality in particular. And they realized they, they, they didn't want to go against the flow of the culture. Culture is moving very quickly and in one direction towards sexual uh, you know, immorality, towards acceptance of any sexual behavior. It's fine. It's, it's, it's good. There's no problem with that at all. And the Bible, of course, says something to the contrary of that. They want to jump in and, and move along with the culture. They don't want to end up on the wrong side of history, as our, our, our secular elites like to um, accuse us of being. So they leave. They they leave, they, they turn away from Christ, they, they choose to be accepted by the world rather than to be accepted by, by God through Christ. They might say that they're not turning away from, from Christ, they're just, you know, just turning away from what the Bible says about certain things, but of course if you reject the Bible, if you reject the Word of God, then you are rejecting Christ, for he was identified as the Word of God. You can't separate Christ from from the word. So therefore, friends, in this, in this in-between period of the church, this time between the first and the second comings of Christ, this 
will be a time when those who make up the new covenant community will be made up of those who are faithfully in Christ, seeking to humbly follow Christ, but also there will be those who will ultimately turn away, kind of like it was with the old covenant community. What each of us is to do is to to make sure that we are those who belong to Christ and remain with him. When you sense your faith being challenged, don't turn away from, from, from God's word. Don't, don't turn away from hearing what God's people say. Go to him. Go to Christ. Get closer to him. Get closer to his people. Get in his word. Get in a closer relationship with his people, with the new covenant community. Have his people pray for you and with you. Don't turn away from that. Don't turn away from him. Turn towards him. This announcement of Jesus was a shock to his disciples, and we are to to kind of feel that shock as well. It, It is possible, we are seeing here, it is possible to be in this community, to be in this family, and to go through the motions, but to ultimately have no part in Christ. To ultimately reject him. Luke means to unsettle this, uh, unsettle us with what he says here. But it is not meant to scare us away from Christ. It's meant to draw us near, to draw us closer to him. If your confidence is in your own ability to stand, if it's in your own strength to follow him, in your own resolve, well, then you're looking in the wrong place, friends. Look instead to Jesus. Go to him. This passage is is, is pushing us towards him. Get close to Jesus. Trust in his words. Rest your confidence in what he has already accomplished for you. In his death, in his resurrection, and in the end, you will definitely be with him. As he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Make sure that Christ is your treasure. Make sure that you are looking to him and being a part of this community, taking part in the meal that we have each month, third Sunday of each month, that will help you to stay close to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word once again and we pray that you would help us, each one of us, to truly put our hope in Christ to draw closer to him, and that we would be with him in the kingdom when he comes. So in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.